Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 157. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. This week on the show, we're joined by Managing Director of ESA Consultants, Joe Bolger, and we'll be discussing salon-related employment law to help you navigate this crisis. You have to worry about the things that you can fix. You have to get somebody to sort out the things you can't. And you have to walk away from the things that are impossible. You've got to look at life in a simple thing. The end is not nigh. The world isn't going to blow up. We're going to have a party. It's going to be over soon. Our biggest problem is time span. We just don't know when. But trust me, as quick as it started, it will stop. And somebody will come out with Eureka and go, we now have the answer. Every opportunity that's on our desk or every crisis is an opportunity and every opportunity is a chance. You just got to work on it. So for our regular listeners out there, you're probably expecting this episode to be focused on our March monthly roundup. However, considering the ongoing issues at the moment with coronavirus, we've decided to create a special episode focusing on what to focus on when this eventually blows over. So just to set the premise of this episode, recently we were at a, a business hub held by the Irish Hair Federation conference a few weeks ago. And one of the speakers was Joe Bulger, who was talking about employment law. Now, right then and there, we realized this was a man we have to get on the show to talk about employment law in the salon business. But lo and behold, two weeks later, we're hit by coronavirus worldwide. So while we do still want to focus on employment law, we think this is probably the perfect episode to focus on, I suppose, the positive outcome after coronavirus, because it is inevitable that this pandemic will blow over when we don't know. But when it does finally happen, we need to make sure our businesses are prepared is your admin up to date? Have you used the right documentation for dealing with your staff's employment? And what happens when business starts to pick up? Absolutely. And it ties back into last week when we were talking about future-proofing your brand. This is just another part of future-proofing your salon business. Uh, so for people who don't know Joe Bolger, he holds qualifications in psychology, safety, law and arbitration. He studied in the US, UK and Ireland, uh, and he has a LLB and PhD in law. He's written for several law gazettes, including articles on employment law. He's actually also written for the Forest blog a couple of years ago, and he's worked in the industry in several countries, including the US, Germany, UK and Ireland. Uh, we are very grateful to have him today on the show. It's like Killian said, the probably perfect timing uh, for him to join us this week. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Joe. And thank you so much for uh, taking some of your time today to chat to us. Well, thank you for having me and pleased to meet you all. This is actually our first time to have you on the show, even though we've had your daughter, Michelle, on the show a few times. Has she given you any uh, pointers to watch out for oh no she just wanted to see me you know burn and see how it works out and then do a dance of victory afterwards and say i didn't make those basic errors <laughs> <laughs> well listen we'll kick it off with a with an easier one i suppose uh, get into the tough stuff later the hair and beauty industry as resilient as it has always been is right now facing a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people are getting stressed about the future of the business Working in employment law, you've surely had a million calls coming in in the past week, two weeks, probably even. Um, what have people been ringing you about the most at the moment? What's the biggest fear? There are several, and you are right. The, the phones have not stopped. 
uh, running. In fact, we've split the business into two units, people working from home and people working in, in the office. So we catch the calls that are coming through the main line and then other people can go through uh, phone calls. But the main concerns that people have are, A, um, business has stopped. What do I do with my employees? Uh, the second concern that seems to be very uh, evident is, what happens during this layoff period or isolation or lockdown? And what will happen afterwards? And Primarily in the first question is they're concerned about their employees not being able to have an income during this period of time and the employer not being in a position to fund that. Now, that poses a couple of problems insofar as employers are not generating revenue, therefore they're not in a position to pay. And the state has stepped in and said that anybody who uh, is laid off as a result of this may make an application uh, to the department through my uh, welfare, it is what do we do and how do we help the employees get that? And simply what they have to do is go on to my welfare. There's a form up there called the UP1 form. The employee fills that in and makes an application online. They do not have to go down to the info office, which is the welfare office, to sign on. The employer will be asked to fill out a UP14 form. And that UP14 form confirms that the employee has been laid off. Now, that of itself is fine for this particular crisis. But employment law, which doesn't change just because of circumstances, law itself, you know, emanating from the Magna Carta in the 16th century, doesn't change because it's the pandemic flu or pandemic uh, uh, coronavirus. It has rigid rules, and it says that any employer that lays an employee off, must issue them with an ORP9 form. And that's easy to get in this country. You just go up onto Google and type in ORP9 form. And that form allows you to put the employee on temporary layoff. Now, that's from the legal side. And that form then informs the employee that if you're not able to give them work after a period of time, they may request redundancy, but they don't get it because you can counter command that. So you get up to about 10 or 12 weeks with that form. And that's for layoff or short term. The employee who is sick and is told to self-isolate is required to fill out the same form, but they get 305 euros for a two-week period. So you have two classes, those that the business has closed down and those who have to self-isolate. And then you have a lot of clients are saying this, telling us that there's a lot of fear insofar as Employees are phoning up and saying, I'm not coming in. If an employee refuses to come in, then the employees put themselves out of work and you're not required to fill out the form. If the employee says, I'm sick by ordinary sickness, within most of our contracts, uh, particularly for uh, salons and that, there is no statutory sick pay from an employer unless an employer has a contract. So the employer doesn't have to pay the employee. That brings you into another problem, that if you don't look after employees now, this will abate. And what will happen is there will be a bent-up energy of people wanting to get their hair done, go out and have, you know, almost like Victory Day from Japan and, and, and from uh, Germany. People will go out and they'll want to celebrate. Yeah. You won't have employees because they will decide they're going to go elsewhere. And... Then the employer is concerned that if they are remaining open 
what steps do they take to protect the employee? They're basic steps. And the basic steps are, you know, social distance, which is roughly one and a half uh, meters, about five foot ten uh, of a distance between the person that's working with you. The problem with hair salons is this, that it is a contact service. Ours is not a contact service. So therefore, you will have contact with people. And a lot of people you'll have contact with uh, in hair salons will be people of my age, older people. So they're at high risk as well. So you have to have procedures in order to protect both your employees and the people coming in. So you're going to have to have policies. And if you put all that together, you are in a position to manage this. And you will be in a position, and people are phoning us every day and saying, what type of policies do I need? What type of pay will my staff get? What have I laid them off? What happens if they go and work for somebody else during the period? Or what if they go self-isolation and they're having parties? Well, if an employee is told to self-isolate and they have parties, well, then that is a disciplinary matter, which could result in their dismissal. Another big one they say, which is employers trying to be creative. Can I pay them holiday pay and pay them illness benefit through the UP1 form? The problem is you can't. If you pay holiday pay, we pay out social welfare on a five-day week. And if you take 230 euros and you're paying it divided by five, and then you give the employee one or two days holiday pay to lift it up, the social welfare will take two, two-fifths of that social welfare off. So they're only going to get three-fifths. So we're recommending to employers, if there's holiday pay, and with written consent from the employee, that they will take the holidays now, they can give them the holidays and see where this goes. If at the end of the holiday period, they still can't return them to work, then use the UP1 form and put them on welfare. And then you get the other one where employers are saying, perhaps we could supplement their income. And that is up to an employer. But the employer has to realize that the welfare payments are taxable as well as any money that you give them. So if you combine some extra uplift to help an employee on top of social welfare, your bookkeeper or your accountant is going to have to manage the taxation of that. And then we have employers who say, well, the government are asking us to pay the social welfare up front and we will recover it at a later date. That's okay. If you pay it up front, so you pay the employee and they don't wait on the welfare to pay them, the government is saying that we will be able to recover that through other uh, and later payments, such as we can withhold it from our tax returns and that. But yet there's no policy set in stone on that. They are saying that if you pay the employees, you will have to pay PSI and PAYE and you'll have to pay VAT to us. We will allow you deduct that from the payments. But we don't know how much we'll be allowed to deduct or for how long or from what, whether it's VAT or whether it's from PSI or that. So we're still waiting on that. They're the main concerns. It's all about looking after the staff and get money in their pocket during this period of time.
Now, of course, this is all in Ireland. You've worked in uh, various countries before, at least ver- studied in various countries before. Do you have any information? Like, where do people go? Um, is it the local council? Is it on the government websites usually if people are based out of uh, other countries looking for similar things? Well, in, in the States, it's the Department of Labour. Um, and you have to go to them. And in Great Britain, it's you go to mygov.ie uh, there. In the UK, the difficulty that they seem to experience in there is you have two options. You have a thing called a sick line or you can go on temporary layoff. Now, the problem with temporary layoff in the United Kingdom, it's very limited in how much you, you pay out. But if you go up on their websites, you will get this information. In fact, if you go up on any of the websites in any of the countries, whether it be Great Britain, Germany, United States or that, there are very clear guidance of what you're entitled to. The amounts vary from country to country, but the amounts also vary because of the economics of that country. So 95 pounds in the United Kingdom travels a lot further than it would in Ireland because we have a higher cost of living. Housing, food, clothes, everything is higher in this country. So therefore, the weekly rates that you get is higher. But on when you reflect it and try to equal it out, it is the same as we get here within their own country. But there there are payments from every country. United States is going to inject a bazooka of about a trillion. United Kingdom is injecting about 350 billion. France is doing 330 billion. And that is to stimulate the economy and protect employers and employees. So there are plenty of remedies for everybody in every jurisdiction. So I just want to be really clear on... I suppose the journey going on at the moment, because you've mentioned a couple of different forms and the one form that stood out to me was the RP9. Mm-hmm. So instantly in my head, I'm thinking, all right, we're hearing that all non-essential businesses should be closing, which is mostly bars and nightclubs. We're seeing it in Ireland and a lot of other countries. They've effective immediately being closed. So my understanding there is that the owner would have handed each of their staff members the RP9 form, which means you're not terminated, but you're just put on leave for, and and you don't have to give an explicit amount of time, do you? You just have to say until further notice. Is that right? Yeah, um, it, it is to some degree. And you got to break this down into two segments as well. Where a national government issues a decree, and says pubs, restaurants must close. Innate within that decree is the right to put somebody on temporary layoff. And the question of whether you should give an RP9 or not is irrelevant because the government have given it. Through the years, I've always learned that no matter what governments tell you or fail to tell you, when it gets down to the basic civil servant who sits there with a tick off box and goes, did you get an RP9? No, oh, I need to see an RP9. And that can disrupt. And because we don't know whether it's in the United States or Great Britain or Ireland, what is actually happening here, we have to go back to the basics. And the basics are that any employee who's been laid off or put on temporary notice, which can be given immediate and served immediately, should get an RP9 within this jurisdiction. There's no requirement in Great Britain for an RP9. There's none available. It's a letter from the employer setting out clearly the reasons uh, why. And some employers are using letters here. But for example, in the hair salon business, there is no decree, there is no order. 
to shut down, as we've had in, in the restaurant association and, and, and in the pubs. So I would say again, make sure you have this RP9 only for one reason. And if I'm proven wrong, there is no loss. If I'm proven right, you'll be grateful for it. When it gets to the payment and the bureaucratic processes that will occur afterwards, you do not want somebody in an office remote to you, never seen you before, looking at a piece of paper and saying, we don't have your driver's license or we don't have this. An RP9 is the guarantee in this country that the employer has served notice. And therefore, the employer is telling you, until further notice, uh, we're putting you on layoff or temporary uh, hours of work. Within the RP9, at the end of four weeks, an employee can look at Section B, it's a three-part form, A, B, and C, and say, oh, that employer is not bringing me back to work quick enough, I'm going to seek a redundancy. They must do that within seven days at the end of the fourth week. But an employer can countercommand it on Part B of that form and say, no, within seven days, they write back and say, within the next four weeks to come, I can assure you I will have no less than 13 weeks of gainful employment for you, so I countercommand your request for redundancy. I think in emergency circumstances, if you look at things like the Working Time Act, as people call it, or Working Time Regulation, it says that where exceptional circumstances arise, an employer can ask you to work late or come in early or can change your working roster. These are exceptional circumstances, and I say that that gives you the right to change a lot of the rules. But again, go back to always having that insurance, which is the RP9. That, that brings me actually to, to this question about reasonable accommodations. If you look at like the tech industry, for instance, just take myself and Killian doing the podcast. I'm actually in self-isolation uh, out in Montreal. Killian's now at home in Dublin. Um, what, like hair and beauty businesses, like you said, there is that that contact. You can't do that. You can't have people coming in at home. So what are accommodations that you could do if your salon is still open, but say you've got a staff whose kids are now at home because the schools have closed and there's no one else to mind them than them? Well, you see, what you have to look at, and it's interesting you say that, because we have precedent law in here from our Supreme Court recently in a case called Nano-Nagel, and what is reasonable accommodation and what isn't. However, through all my life, I have seen some incredible changes of, of life. I'm one of the people who stood on the Berlin Wall. I have seen polio run through the country. I have flown through the Gulf War when nobody else was on planes, when every plane was laid down. I have seen czars, foot and mouth. I've seen it all. And all of these things have been telling us for, since the time of Moses, always have plans, always have programs. And where you end up in the situation now that you're sitting there, stone-faced looking at the wall because you failed to plan, this is the opportunity now to sit down and say, right, I have one person who has a child or two children, and letting them off is going to cause a problem. Well, this is a golden opportunity to say, well, let's look at our systems. Let's look at our IT systems and see what we need to do to make it better. Let's look at our gap analysis. Let's look at our modeling, our design. Let's look at our marketing program going forward. That's which is a big problem in this country. And I guarantee you, it is also in the United States and it is also in Great Britain. 80% of all the safety accidents that occur results from housekeeping, poor housekeeping, 
trips and slips. This is an opportunity for the next six to four weeks to clear out your salon of all these things, to put these people, a few that are maybe to work, to sit down and look at how you organize your, your appointments and how you can better improve it and how you can design to add on sales. This is an opportunity probably to get up on e-learning and train your staff and get them educated in customer care. Do what you can. The layoff is the last option. And I had it put to me there the other day from the client who said he had eight staff. And if you give them a supplement of 200 euros, he'd be out of business. And the reality of this is any business who cannot afford to pay a supplement of 1,600 euros over a two-week period to employees on top of the welfare or to keep them implied shouldn't really be in business because they're running their business too tight, their cash flow is wrong, and this is the opportunity to fix it. So I would say in those circumstances, sit down and take a holistic look at your organization because trust me, we will get out of this, but we will be back in another one. I don't know when, but we will. And we will find that these calamities and epidemics and crises are going to occur more and more often. And therefore, we need to sit down now and plan it right. And this is the time. We've just done it. We've looked at all our IT in here. We've looked at our you know, laptops versus our desktops. So we've spent a fortune putting in laptops and putting in stuff and saying, if this ever happens again, we're going to be ready. We should have been ready last time, but we were too busy minding the hen house and we didn't look after the business. So I would say to anybody now, golden opportunity to get your house in order and be better prepared, not just for the next crisis, but be better prepared to improve your business going forward and use those people for that. So on the back then of preparing and I suppose protecting your business, what about protecting your clients? Because obviously every salon has probably thought about a non-compete policy, but right now we're all told going to self-isolation. There's always going to be those risk takers who, oh yeah, I can pop out to your house and um, do a few treatments for you there. Uh, just you don't worry about trying to make it to the salon. Is there any way of protecting your business on staff going out and doing, I suppose, mobile treatments and services behind your back? Well, intra, and that's a very powerful question. And I, I get this asked a lot. And in fact, after I did a conference uh, speech in, in Dublin for the uh, Hair Salon Federation, I was... I met somebody outside who asked me that very same question. First and foremost, we say to people every time they come here and we present them with contracts, they take their pen out, the red pen, they go, we don't want this clause, we don't want that clause. And we always go, don't take them out because you will find, if not today, maybe tomorrow, you will find that that clause is a clause you need, such as a restrictive covenant, a non-compete clause. Now, Restrictive covenant and non-compete clauses do not prohibit employees for going to work elsewhere. What they do prohibit is for them setting up next door with a Me Too company and taking your client base. If they take your client base, first of all, it's a breach of GDPR. Secondly, it's a breach of your intellectual property and you can sue on it. And if they have the resources to set up a business, we call it in law, they have a mark so we can get money from them. Now, during this unusual epidemic situation, uh, this pandemic uh, disease that we're looking at, we have people who are going home and maybe on 230 euros a week. The morality says 
if they do go and get the odd client and they get an extra bit of income, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. I would not have a sleepless night over that because I would say, well, at least my employees have some substance and some extra income to survive this crisis on that. If it becomes blatant, this comes to policing and disciplinary. So if you find that as a result of what they're doing, they are blocking you doing business. And bearing in mind that you're probably not going to do it because people are not going to go to uh, salons at the moment. But if they were, then that is a fundamental breach. You do not need a restrictive covenant or a fidelity agreement with anybody. You can then deal with them swiftly, but you have to have evidence. And the biggest problem you'll find is hearsay. People will tell you what they saw and what they heard, but you have to have evidence that you can prove beyond all doubt that that person has done something. And again, you have to go back to your contract and you have to be able to say in our contract, which you signed, that's it. So most important thing is have a properly constructed contract and not these one and a half page because it looks nice. And you know, you just want to comply with the law. You just want to make sure they have it. Make sure that your contract covers every angle because no matter how big the contract is, you will rely on some clause at some stage. I suppose just to kind of start looking towards the future, um, because this will this will blow over when we don't know, but when it does blow over, I assume you can imagine a business is going to be just like coming up to Christmas. It's going to be impossible for clients to find space to book in with you. However, your situation has now reversed. You're going to go from possibly worst case scenario, and we don't want really want to say it, but possibly having to let go of some great talent that you've worked so hard to attract to then when you're becoming busy and business picks up, you're eventually like your staff or ex staff possibly are now going to have the choice of which salons to go to. Is there anything you can kind of put in place to protect yourself? Because Ideally, you don't want to, I suppose, not terminate a staff member's contract if this is going to be two months long. They need to be able to claim welfare. They need to be able to bring in an income. But can you put anything in place that, I suppose, boomerangs those staff back? Well, they, they are implied. Trust me on this. Even though they've been put on temporary layoff as a result of this COVID-19, they are still your employees. And I know everybody is using these terms, in, including... Uh, the leader of our, our, our country last night when he gave a state of the nation uh, town hall type conversation, he used words such as, you've lost your employment. You have not lost your employment. Your employment has been temporarily suspended. So they are still your employees. Now, and you're perfectly right. And this has happened after every crisis. There is bent up energy and suddenly everybody wants to go out and party. It's the, the V-Day, D-Day, whatever you want to call it, Let's get out there. And we were listening to uh, news the other day with Yuan and people are coming out and saying, this is like liberation. I feel free again. I feel I want to party. And every crisis that we face in life, we always want to rewrite our life to be better. And we're going to do things different. But nonetheless, employees are the biggest and most important asset you will ever have. And what's more important within that sub-constituent is each individual employee is different and how you treat them and how you manage them is key critical and what is good for one is not necessarily good for the other so you have to have a very robust 
HR relationship. You have to have a very hands-on relationship and understand your employees. If you manage your employees on this temporary suspension properly, and if you don't get animated because you heard they went over to a particular house and they did the the family's hair in there because they all wanted to look nice looking at each other in (laughs) self-isolation. Bearing that in mind, and you don't punish them for that, they will come back. But they are not gone. They are still your employees. And if you treat them wrong, employees are like elephants in the long grass. They wait. And they will come back, and they'll come back with something. You've got to have that relationship where you're showing them transparency. Don't have a lot of money sitting in your bank account that would get you to the Christmas beyond next and tell the employees you can't give them anything. Try and manage to help them, to work with them and encourage them because you know people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the reality of that is if you show empathy and understanding and equality, you're not gonna have a problem with them. But they are only suspended. They haven't lost their job. And, and you know, the government are going to put these bazooka financial funds into our uh, economies. And my guesstimate of looking at this, particularly in the United States, UK and Ireland, is the government, so long as you properly declared your revenue and you properly returned your, your taxes as you're supposed to, you will be able to make an application to the government to say, I've used up all my resources because Customers and clients are saying to us, oh, but I need to keep money in reserve when this blows over so I have money for stock. That's not necessarily uh, true Mm -hmm. because the government will arrange for you to get interest-free loans from banks by making an application, showing that you've complied with your legal obligations, your tax obligations. They will then give you a letter of comfort. As I see this panning out, which you will go to the bank and say, here's my letter of comfort. I need 10, 20, 30 or 40,000 euros as a line of credit in order to get stock and start paying staff because the business is going to take off. So there's also a back end to this where the government are not going to let companies fail. Boris Johnson said, we will not allow any company to fail. Our own Taoiseach has said, we will not allow any company that has not got uh, grounds for failing prior to this <laughs> fail. And even uh, President Trump has said the same uh, thing. Mike Pence has said the same thing. Macron has said the same thing. Merkel has said the same thing. The world leaders have come out and said, we will not let companies fail. So if you have to borrow, you will be able to borrow, providing you've been running a very good shop. And that comes back to getting your house in order So going forward, you will have the evidence to show you run a very good shop. That's great because like we've seen talk about these loans, but I suppose there was always the fear that the likes of the airlines and the mega companies were all going to try and avail of it and take a substantial amount from those loans. Everybody believes that the the multinationals will jump in and grab these funds, but the funds have been subdivided into segments, SMEs, medium-sized companies, and large companies will get their own funding from this. So what you'll find is SMEs who will only have a requirement maybe of, you know, $20,000 or, you know, 11,000 pounds or 15,000 euros will have that fund because the banks too are putting reserves aside 
to be able to issue this funding. The European Central Bank is doing quantitative uh, easing. United States is uh, shooting a trillion uh, into this. France is 330 billion euros. United Kingdom is 350 uh, billion. Now, the interesting thing is people wonder where all this money is coming from. But if you take economics and, and the banking world, you borrow 100 euros and you give the 100 euros to the guy next to you. He then loans the 100 euros to the guy beside him. And all of a sudden, there's 300 euros in the economy, but there's still only 100 euros. So quantitative easing, easing is using up money based on your gold reserves, and there's plenty of, of that. And the money can be pumped in. All you'll see in the next five years as a result of this is there'll be more potholes on the main roads. There'll be more streetlights not working properly because money is being diverted. But the money will be there. And if you have run a good business, and I always say to people, if you have an IT system that monitors and tracks everything, and all you have to do is push a button, and it gives you an age debtors list, or it gives you a, a customer flow analysis and that, and you can go into a bank and say, look, prior to the crisis, look at our system. We were doing 40 heads a day. We were taking in you know, 2,000 euros a day. There's no reason why that will not happen. But... I don't have the money to inject to get my stock from my wholesaler or pay my staff for the first two or three weeks to get this going. And you've got that letter of comfort from the government. The bank will just roll you a credit line. And again, it goes down to not sitting down with a ledger sheet and a pen and writing your income and spending hours because they go, not interested. Anybody could fill that in. Show us probative evidence. Show us proof that this revenue is happening in your company. And that's why even here, we have IT systems. We go out to clients and they go, how much work have you done for us? And we give them a report created by a computer and they go, we didn't realize we were onto you that much. It's the same too with any organization that has a proper structure and a proper system. They have the data to bring to their bank or the government. So, you know, the money is there, but if you're putting money under the counter and taking cash and putting it in the back drawer, that's not going to be included in your loan. So it's going to be there. So my question then is, for we're seeing like two situations at the moment. There's some salons still open, some salons that have already closed for either on their own accord, their own decision for the safety of their clients, their staff, uh, or just because the government has asked that they close. What's the next step in terms of getting their house in order then? If you're still open, what can you still do now? And if you're closed, what's the next steps and what should you be looking at uh, as of now to prepare for when um, things do pick up? Well, those that are open, they need to have policies on the window that say to people, we are still operating, we are maintaining to the highest standard. whether it's a restaurant or a hair salon, and hair salons, they have to show that they are maintaining things to the highest standard. They have to have evidence where people can look in and say, well, we're not all, you know, cheek to gel here. They're not packing this all in. They have and seem to have a separation. They need to set up their appointments and keep people apart. So if Mrs. Brown is coming in at 11 o'clock and it's gonna, she's going to finish at 12, don't have Mrs. Murphy coming in at 12 and them crossing. Show that you have a flow, a traffic flow system, that people are not bumping into each other. Show that you have separation of all the, the, the seats and have the policies. And interestingly enough, I was asked you today for the first time in my life, produce a mitigation control method safety policy. 
I asked the guy to spell that because I'd never heard about it. But when I distilled it down, it actually turned out that he wanted a policy where all his staff were told how to manage their own safety while driving, while picking up goods, while meeting customers. And he wanted it in a high, medium and low sequence of colors so everybody could understand it. And we eventually went in and looked at our method statements in our safety department and said, let's take that model and develop it to suit. Now, the companies are using that and they're getting no disquiet from the staff. So you have to have mythology that shows not just the customers, but the staff, we take this serious and we've set procedures in place. Those who have closed need to be able to demonstrate that during their absence, they they did things to rectify things that might have been going wrong prior, that their salons are clean, even decorations to say we are glad to be open. And just to assure our, our clients during our absence, we took the opportunity to do a deep clean uh, and to make sure that our salons are to the highest standard that you expect of us. So that's what people will want because, you know, people don't eat chicken that's been lying on the table for days <laughs> and they won't eat off the table that the chicken's been lying on. So you've got to show that that has been clear. And I say this to restaurant people. People eat with their eyes, they taste with their mouth, and they protest with their feet. And in hair salons, I mean, even where I get my hair cut, the guy is forever sweeping the floor. He's forever cleaning up. And every client that goes, you're sitting waiting to get into the seat while he cleans up and takes out cloths and clean the, the work area. And you feel, this guy cares. He's like myself, he's OCD, but he cares. But I have got the hair salons where you go in and they, they're using dryers and they're taking uh, scissors out, they're taking shavers out, they're not even washed. And I don't go back. So even those that are closed, look at your operation and look at it from the customer's point of view. People go in to get their hair done. They want to see it looking good. They want to see it looking clean. And after this, people will want to see it looking even cleaner. So it might be an opportunity for a bit of remodeling. And those old broken countertops and that, get them sorted out now and be able to demonstrate to customers after this, look at our salon and look what we've done. Because that's what people want. Safety is perception or partly perception and they want to see that. Well, listen, Joe, thanks so much for all of the information today. It's it's good to cover the coronavirus, I suppose, in a future light, because again, it will blow over when no one knows. But what can we do today to prepare your business for when, I suppose, Christmas comes back again, that busy period of the year? Well, do you know, I, I always say this to people. You have to worry about the things that you can fix. You have to get somebody to sort out the things you can't. And you have to walk away from the things that are impossible. And you've got to look at life in a simple thing. The end is not nigh. The world isn't going to blow up. We're going to have a party. It's going to be over soon. Our biggest problem is time span. We just don't know when. But trust me, as quick as it started, it will stop. And somebody will come out with Eureka and go, we now have the answer. We have the cure. Every opportunity that's on our desk or every crisis is an opportunity and every opportunity is a chance. You just gotta work on it and we will make it and we will get through. But I tell you the good thing it's done for every one of us is taught us how to be clean because the number of people that don't wash their hands, <laughs> it stops. <laughs> it's great for somebody OCD like me 
going around with my gloves <laughs> and my masks and everything. This is paradise. So one man's meat, yeah. another man's poison, isn't it? Exactly. That and the other thing that I've been seeing actually is community. The sense of community, the sense of uh, solidarity between uh, people, uh, individuals, but also um, businesses, local businesses uh, working together. I've, I've haven't seen this in years. So, yeah, yeah I suppose well, there is some positives. I heard the other day that fish are actually going into Venice now. They're swimming up the canals. Another one. Climate change. Climate change. It's, it's been a nice reset for climate change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this was a conspiracy to get us all to wake up and realize that the bees do matter. Well, I suppose <laughs> it's it's a nice wake up call and start planning everything now. Excellent. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much, Joe. Not at all, guys. I wish you all the best. Hey, guys, Zoe. And Killian here. There's a lot going on in the world right now and things are changing fast. This is a short reminder for you to stay safe and on top of all the latest and factual news. Your starting point should be your governing health services website. To help you navigate this crisis, Forest Salon Software has also a variety of business resources available. Check out our Help Juice page, the Forest Academy Learning Portal, the Coronavirus Best Practice page at forest.com forward slash C19, the Forest Blog and Podcast, and our multiple on-demand webinar recordings at forest.com forward slash resources. And one last thing. Don't Don't be scared, scared, be be prepared. So that was Joe Bulger of ESA Consultants, I suppose, reassuring us about the good times to come. I know it can be really hard to imagine it when you're going through such despair. But Joe, like he summarized it nicely near the end to say that this happens and it comes down to the fact that we just don't learn from things. We don't learn to prepare for the next one. And I think that's one really key takeaway is that use now to prepare for what's to come in the future. So about two, three weeks ago, we created uh, this resource page on forest.com. It's hosted in the resources tab of uh, the website and it lists uh, essentially, you know, what COVID-19 is um, and then best practices for staff, uh, client and business well-being uh, and health, of course. Another thing that we have on that page is a downloadable pack for resources. If you go onto the website right now, you'll have it. You can you, you simply fill in your details and it's an automatic download. Um, you'll also get an email uh, giving you those downloads um, just in case you, I don't know, you're on your phone, you're on the go. When you download them, you'll also have them by email uh, for future reference. Now, we don't actually have any more live webinars coming up, but what we have done is over the last two weeks we have run COVID-19 Don't Be Scared, Be Prepared webinars. We've taken those recordings for the webinars and we have actually uploaded it to Forest Academy. So if you haven't been fortunate enough to find the time to attend that webinar live, you can now watch the full recording in Forest Academy and you'll have access to the slide deck and any resources included. You can find all of that in your Forest Academy and the course will be called COVID-19. Don't be scared, be prepared. 
In the same spirit, we've been collaborating with coaches and consultants from the industry to provide webinars uh, on how to manage this whole ongoing situation. And we currently have four of them that you can watch on demand for free on force.com forward slash resources, or you can follow the link uh, in today's episode's notes. The first one is Salon HR Advice for Managing COVID-19, and that's hosted by HR specialist Caroline McInery, looking at HR game plans for salons uh, dealing with the uh, current crisis. The second one is Gain New Clients from Social Media, hosted by Angela Anderson. She's a salon coach in the US. And in this hour-long webinar, she discusses her four golden steps to attract new clients, uh, specifically through Instagram. The third one is hosted by a past guest on Forest FM, Jay Williams. Some of you would know him already for his content on feedback and on emotional intelligence. Um, on this webinar, he talks about feedback. So leading your salon through uh, the uncertain times of COVID-19 by learning more about how feedback can help you grow your business. Finally, we have Fact versus Fear, Best Practices During Uncertain Times. And this one is hosted by Nina Tulio, who's an industry-leading salon business consultant, speaker, and educator at 1N Agency. The premise for her webinar is understanding the difference between fear-based decisions and factual decisions and how analyzing this can ultimately help you be best prepared for the future. Again, all of these webinars are absolutely free to watch. Uh, you can watch them on your own time. They're on demand. So if you want to watch any of those, simply click the links in uh, today's episode's show notes and you'll be redirected to the webinar replay. As always, we're here to help. We want to support you uh, through this situation. I know it's uncertain times. We've repeated it quite a bit. Killian's mentioned it at the start of the show, uh, but we're here for you. Uh, and if you have any questions at all, uh, you can always reach out to training at forest.com for anything related to Forest Academy or the education webinars uh, that have been aired. And if it's anything to do with uh, support with the coronavirus best practice page, you can reach out to marketing at forest.com. But yeah, yeah, so I guess that's all we got for this week, guys. Um, as always, if you want to share your thoughts on this episode or have any suggestions around the show in general, please do send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Your uh, comments are always very much appreciated and help tailor our content uh, really to what matters to you in the moment. So uh, we genuinely uh, appreciate you uh, taking that second or two seconds to leave us some feedback. Otherwise, stay safe and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z. Great music makes great moments. Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Forest FM, the Salon Owners podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. We help salon owners get their clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.